If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Jesse Simonton, formerly of VolQuest SEC Country and the Miami Herald, He's covered a number of teams in the SEC. I asked him a lot of Tennessee questions, but I also asked him uh, some some SEC stuff, some recruiting stuff. So I think fans will really enjoy this one. All right, we're pleased now to be joined by uh, Jesse Simonton, huge fan of this guy. You got to give him a follow on the Twitters at Jesse R E Simonton, and that will be in the show notes. And of course, he's a former Miami Herald, SEC Country, and Ball Quest veteran jesse thanks for joining the show i really do appreciate you absolutely michael thanks for uh having me on to to talk the craziness that is tennessee <laughs> well hey it's uh it's like groundhog day because once again tennessee scrambling no coach no ad what in the hell's going on at tennessee i know you you're a guy that's uh you know you covered multiple sec programs here so i just wanted to get your thoughts on why in the hell can Tennessee not get, you know, back to what they were? And and why is it that it seems like they're in this spot every couple of years? Well, I think part of the problem is that it's just it, – it certainly seems like it's a never, you know, never-ending existential crisis within Tennessee's own foundation. And, and by that I mean uh, you hear the phrase a lot, there's too many cooks in the kitchen or that, you know, this booster fraction, that booster fraction – the, the biggest problem that Tennessee has right now in comparison to, let's just say, its rivals, whether we're talking about Alabama, uh, Georgia, although, you know, there's some of the stuff that's happening with Dan Mullen, even Florida, everyone, you know, is kind of positioned together at those schools. And at Tennessee, you always seem to have so many people pulling in various directions uh, that ultimately your foundation is just not on solid footing, and eventually it's going to crater. And for the Vols, it just seems to crater every two to three you know, four years. And so now they're looking at their fifth head coach um, in, in, you know, what is it like since 2009, which is just absurd. And how do you, I mean, do you have any idea how, how do you get everybody on the same page when it's a, uh, you know, same shit, different day, but uh, you know, and, and I think you make a good point, but I'm curious because I've heard that before, but I just don't know that anyone's got an answer on, on how to push everybody in the right direction. Well, I, the, the, the problem I would say, Mike, is that it all, you know, it seems like Tennessee is, is in this like never ending, you know, Nietzsche novel, but we haven't seen what the nadir is. This might finally be the nadir. And I say that because we all know that, that Fulmer will forever be lore uh, in Knoxville. And he was, you know, ceremoniously allowed to retire. Um, but he was clearly, you know, nudged out because he was, handcuffed to Jeremy. That was his guy. And that was the guys that Fulmer was tied in with, 
you know, behind the scenes, names that are that are easy for Tennessee fans, you know, to go and Google in terms of some of the power brokers there. Um, but it was clear from day one, especially in my opinion, that, that Philip was not AD material. They gave Philip, you know, a bonus and, and an extension, you know, quietly a couple months ago, completely needlessly. Philip Fulmer was not going to be an athletics director anywhere else. He wasn't going anywhere. He didn't, you know, I'm not sure what exactly had been done to warrant um, such a thing other than the fact that he was Philip Fulmer. And so I think it kind of starts there. And that's why the head coaching job at Tennessee and, and who, you know, is a candidate and the rumors and that kind of stuff, that's going to generate the most interest from fans. But really it's going to be who is that guy's boss and how can that guy basically build the boat and get it actually pointed in the right direction. You know, Fulmer loved to use all these boat metaphors and all that stuff. And then Jeremy goes and it was a year, it was the, my last season covering the balls, 29 or full season because I was there in the spring this past year. But 2019, when he, right before the Florida game, he used the whole Titanic metaphor. Um, well, the Titanic sunk in three hours. This thing's been going on for obviously, you know, 15 some odd years at Tennessee. Whoever they hire at AD has to be the guy that I think kind of puts his foot down and says, this is how we're going to do it, and then get the guy that he can work in concert um, to be a successful head coach. Now, you made an interesting comment uh, after, I think it was on Monday when Pruitt was out, but uh, you noted that, you know, if he was a very successful coach at Tennessee, you think he'd still be there. Can you expound a little bit on uh, just why you think that? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I, let's just uh, let's just go to the most recent history. Look at what's going on with Will Wade at, at LSU. I mean, you know, the 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 links there to in terms of impropriety um, are obvious, and they just won the SEC a year ago, and so his administration is standing behind him. So I, I just think that you know what what we'll find out, you know, in due time. And there's been plenty of rumblings and rumors about what exactly transpired in terms of malfeasance and, and, you know, what sort of level one or level two uh, sanctions come down the pike here. But the reality is, and you and I both know this, Mike, that, you know, being around this league and, and covering the various teams and talking to a lot of people behind the scenes, the same stuff happens everywhere. But it's, it, it is almost, I heard someone say it's almost procedural how Tennessee screwed this stuff. And I think that's a good way to put it uh, because, you know, if the procedures were better, if you kind of had your ducks in a row more, um, then then the likelihood that this gets, you know, sniffed out if you're winning becomes, I think, clearly, you know, reduced there. So if Tennessee wasn't getting trounced by Kentucky, if they hadn't, you know, gotten just boat raced by Missouri uh, before, you know, if that kind of stuff hadn't been on Jeremy's resume, folks sniffing around internally especially um, are much more apt you know, just say, hey, you know, we got a good thing going here. So let's, uh, we're, we're going to look left instead of looking right. Now, I want to take you back to, I think, uh, the most infamous day in Tennessee sports history, at least in my lifetime, the Shiano Sunday. And you had an interesting exchange recently with uh, Dan Wolkin, and we all know his connection to all that. But, uh, you know, he kind of pointed out that he likes to have fun with Vol Twitter and, and blaming them for Pruitt's hire and, you pushed back a little bit on that, and, and obviously you're a lot closer to the situation than, than he w- was because you got boots on the ground and you were covering the team. But uh, what was all, all that like covering Tennessee on Shiano Sunday, and and why did you feel the need to kind of 
push back on on the narrative that uh, Vol Twitter was the one that hired Pruitt. Yeah, you know it's it's funny because Dan has a obviously has a uh, interesting spot um, with, with several fan bases, mainly mainly Vol Twitter and and you know Forty and and some other guys that I know are kind of in that category as well. And I think to me the biggest issue is that there's been this narrative built um, that Vol Twitter is the reason why Jeremy Pruitt was hired. And that's not the case. Now, clearly, uh, and I, I even wrote this, that, that like after that day, that, you know, that the revolt on Rocky Top, you know, that this is going to be like a future 30 for 30, you know, how Vault Twitter sacked Shiano. Vault Twitter obviously did play a huge impact in Reed and, and some of those guys, you know, in Knoxville um, for lifting up their voices. But there was politicians involved. I mean, there was people, you know, power players, um, within the Tennessee um, at former athletic you know program that were involved, um, but there's been this narrative created that somehow they're drawing a straight line from Shiano not getting the job to now Jeremy being hired and fired. Now, clearly Shiano not you know not getting the job left a void there. But John Curry, and this is kind of my issue with Dan, is that. You know, he has a relationship with John, and I get that this business, it's a relationship business. And so that was a source for him. You know, he, he had the, the whole uh, Shiano to Tennessee, and I think that's part of the issue here is that, you know, he, he thought he had broken that story, and then he gets recanted. And But Curry, I was the one that asked John Curry the question in the press conference, I think it was about a week prior, maybe four days prior to the whole Shiano deal, um, when he held a press conference. And he gave like the big, you remember the big Grinch? I, I, it was almost like a Grinch smirk. Oh, yeah. About, uh, I asked a question about John Gruden. Um, and that was like one of many instances, both publicly and privately, where Curry basically fanned the flames or refused, or you could view it in two ways. He either fanned the groomers or refused to put out the flame. Uh, and he seemed to think, and he clearly was wrong, that allowing that to fester was going to somehow provide some smokescreen for this guy that he and Peyton Manning and others, you know, believe to be the correct choice. Um, and so for some reason, Wolken and 40, it, you know, they, they, don't ever, they don't ever mention that part. And I think to me, from someone that covered the entire thing, um, that that's frustrating because that, that that you're not telling the whole story. What what Tennessee did, what the Tennessee fans and the Vault Twitter and all that, they certainly played a part um, in kind of the uncertainty that they are still feeling as a program today. Uh, but they are not solely to blame at all. And to give Curry a pass, who then his actions after the Shiano deal became completely haphazard, where he was just kind of get, being played by other agents, whether it was Gundy's agent whether it was Doran's agent, you know, whatever happened with Jeff Brom. I mean, we go through all the different things, even before you get to the 11th hour, you know, when he thinks he has a deal with Mike Leach and, and then Fulmer and his boys kind of, you know, pull their deal. Uh, so that that's kind of what I get frustrated about when I see this stuff with, with Dan and some others, where it's easy to just write a column to say that, like, the Tennessee's fan base is too toxic. Well, you know what? There are certainly, and you could probably attest to this because you've seen these guys on Twitter too, there's – there are certainly some bad seeds there, but I, I can tell you to a, a you know to a coach if you ask some folks they'd much rather have kind of a, a crazed supportive 
fan base than a, than a school like UCLA where no one really cares, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you might have some, you might have some history there. You might have some storied, you know, seasons in your past, but if you have a fan base that's checked out, that's when your program's not going to rebound. So at least Tennessee has the fan base. Now they just got to get everything else right. And what are your thoughts on uh, just Kevin Steele? Because, you know, I've always had a ton of respect for this guy. I think he's a, you know, really good coordinator, really good recruiter. He's worked at half the damn schools in the SEC. And I know the casual fan, this is not a guy that they want leading the Tennessee program. But the way I look at him at this point, I mean, I I look at Tennessee almost like Ole Miss was a couple years ago when Hugh Freeze got pushed out and there was uh, sanctions looming and, and scholarship reductions and just not an attractive job. I don't think Tennessee is going to be an attractive job until – they get all that figured out, and I think they need someone to stabilize it and just kind of ride it out, see if he can coach. If he can't, you know, you get his replacement in a year or two, whenever the sanctions come to an end. But uh, what are your thoughts on on that and, and Kevin Steele? I mean, well, cl- clearly Kevin's a hell of a defensive coordinator. I mean, I think he saved Gus's job uh, probably on more than one occasion in the last couple of years. Now, his – the fact that it, we got a whole palace intrigue deal where, where what happened at Auburn and now he's at Tennessee and these boys with Fulmer. And I know that Kevin and Pruitt, you know, go way back and Pruitt was a GA for him. And that's what Kevin's selling to Tennessee's team as we speak. You know, they had a big team meeting, I believe, yesterday. And, you know, he's out there telling them that, you know, look, Jeremy and I are a lot alike. I'm just older. You know, give me a shot. Um but this certainly seems like this was kind of a contingency plan from the players behind the scenes when you have an alleged hiring freeze and then Kevin's allowed to get a job uh, and, and suddenly, you know, a week later, Jeremy's out. As a future head coach, I think that he is clearly a candidate. I mean, he was a guy that uh, Philip was very close to hiring. I mean, Philip liked all three. You know, when it came down, Phillips really liked Jeremy. He really liked Mel Tucker um, then at Georgia, and he really liked Kevin Steele. And I think part of the issue then was that there was a bit of a good, too much of a good old boy. You know, how many of these guys are you going to bring back? And the irony is, is that that may happen anyway. So, if, you know, uh, if Kevin is the guy and, and Rodney Garner is still out there, you, you, I would certainly imagine he comes back to Tennessee again. Um so we'll, we'll see. I think the big thing, and again, I'm not on the ground anymore, but kind of talk, just talking to some folks who are and just kind of knowing um, the future, because I did have a little, when I was at Ball Quest, I certainly worked uh, some with Austin Price, you know, on the recruiting side. 2022 is a huge recruiting um, class for the Tennessee in terms of in-state talent. Um, and it is about as talented as they probably had, I guess, maybe since what, what was the 2018 class with Cade and some of those guys. Uh, but they can't afford to miss. And it's not just Ty Simpson. He, he is obviously kind of the, the holy grail in terms for Tennessee fans. But there's a lot of guys that they need to keep in state. And so I do think if they ultimately determine that, hey, this NCAA stuff's not going to happen for a while, you know, we're not going to know anything they better take that interim tag off Kevin sooner than later. And Kevin's a good recruiter. I mean, he was a guy that was in charge of, you know, Saban's personnel at, at Alabama. So recruiting shouldn't be an issue. He's obviously going to have to upgrade some of the, you know, step Tennessee's only an O-line coach and some other stuff there. Uh, but if you don't go that route, I think you're looking at, it's going to be really hard. I don't think you're going to get a Billy Napier. You know, he, he's a guy that has a binder 
of expectations from what I heard for any job that he wants. So I don't see that happening with the uncertainty. So do you, do you get a gym, you know, uh, Chadwell and, and give him a seven year contract, whatever it is, I think that they need to eye that 2022 class in terms of, we can't just punt on that. So is still going to be our guy, like you mentioned, maybe it's a short term contract and then we'll see what happens. Or do we pull the plug quickly and say, Hey, let's go, you know, because I do think the AD hire is probably going to happen um, probably sooner than later, but then it's how slow do they play the next step because th- do they really wait out, you know, what they hear from the NCAA. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you've covered other teams in the SEC, and you got, uh, you know, your finger on the pulse at uh, just as the conference overall. So, and long-time recruiting expert, analyst, whatever you want to call it, and I don't want you to burn any coaches or or players, obviously, last thing we want to do is get anyone in trouble. But just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, how prevalent is cheating in recruiting in based on your experience? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, again, I think it, it's something that is uh, – you can, you can use it as a term, whether it's the speed limit or however you want to – you know, whatever kind of euphemism you want to use. Everyone's kind of going over it. Um, but it's how brazen do you want to be. Now – the silly, you know, Dan Patrick's chicken nuggets, you know, happy meal deal or whatever. I, I don't, you know, Dan seems to be trying to get a lot of play out of, out of one source. And I'm not sure how well sourced that one source is. Uh, you know, I know Wes Rucker and some others, you know, that are on the ground there we're talking about how mad some folks behind the scenes are. And, you know, they haven't objected to any of the other stuff that's been out there. And yet they, they really push back on that. You saw, you know, Dan throughout Georgia's, uh, name, I guess, the first time um, 10 days ago or so, and, and Georgia, which almost never responds to anything, you know, immediately came out with their compliance people and like, no one, there is no investigation or nothing is being looked at or anything. Uh, so the reality is, though, is that clearly there is, you know, um, some chicanery that happens behind the scenes, but it's happening everywhere and and that's kind of the thing now it's happening to varying degrees and again it's kind of like a speed limit thing as long as you're staying within the speed limit so to speak most folks aren't objecting but if you're being super brazen or you're trying to you know act like you're on the autobahn um it becomes a different deal and and i think that that's you know uh where you can get into some hot water and and look I mean, when's the last time that, again, we're saying that this is fairly prevalent. When's the last time, you know, in terms of like impermissible benefits even became a deal? And it was Hugh Freeze sort of, but that, you know, it was more of kind of the moral stuff that ultimately got him in trouble that then, you know, kind of sent everyone down that rabbit hole. Uh, So this is not something that a lot of folks go sniffing for. And that's why I, I do think that, you know, if you if you can stay around 75, 80, you're going to be just fine. But when you're trying to gun it, um, whether you think you're having to play catch up or whether you're just, you know, getting sloppy at the wheel, that that's when trouble is going to come to your door. All right. So we got an opening at Tennessee, maybe a while before we get that head coaching position field. But uh, what are your thoughts? The three uh, SEC hires we've got here, South Carolina hired Shane Beamer, Auburn, hired Brian Harson and Vanderbilt hired Clark Lee. Which one of those hires do you like the most? 
I would. The irony is, I probably think Clark Lee is probably in the best position to succeed. Now, obviously, success at Vanderbilt means something totally different than success at Auburn, um, and even success at South Carolina. Uh, I have not been. I haven't been particularly overwhelmed with the staff uh, that either Shane or you know Harston has put together. I do like Derek. I think Derek Mason is a very good defensive coordinator, so I think that's a strong hire. Bobo, you know, had – it's funny that, you know, people do forget that Bobo did kind of engineer some some really explosive offenses with Aaron Murray um, at Georgia. Uh, so we'll see. But some of the other guys kind of around there, you know, Rockers is, is a solid, solid, you know, technician coach. We'll see about recruiting. Um, Will Friend kind of had a better uh, resume before he got to Tennessee and then, you know – um, there was clearly some issues there uh, with terms of development. So I, the Shane Beamer thing, that that, that one, um, you know, I thought Caldwell was right there for, for the taking for South Carolina. Uh, it it kind of, to me, that's kind of a shrug your shoulder uh, deal. I mean, the, the reality is, is that both those guys um, likely could be wrong, could be wrong. Both those guys likely just got a huge paycheck um, that'll set up their family Shane Beamer obviously comes from a family that's got plenty of money anyways, but, you know, this is going to set up their family for some nice wealth uh, for the next, you know, many, many decades. And it's probably going to be the only, you know, the last head coaching job they get because the likelihood is, is that that's a, that's a job you take and then get fired, which is why someone like Billy Napier wasn't going to go that route. Mm-hmm. Now it's interesting. You, you mentioned Clark Lee because that kind of leads into my next question. Uh, Barton Simmons, formerly of 24 uh, seven now, hired as the the GM director of scouting I think they're calling it there at Vanderbilt very unusual you know a unique move I think Vanderbilt you kind of have to be a little bit unique you got to think outside the box just wanted to get your thoughts because you kind of come from that same industry a little bit Uh, what do you think about Barton Simmons taking over that job at Vanderbilt well, I don't. I don't know Barton personally, but from what I've read, it certainly seems like their connection uh, had a lot to do with that. In terms of uh, this, is something that I, I, it sounds like he's probably been approached before about this, but he kind of needed the perfect storm. Um, where him being from Nashville, wanting to stay in Nashville, uh, having a relationship that he and you know Clark Lee played um, together at Montgomery Bell Academy. Uh, clearly, I mean, Barton, you know, is someone that is uh, renowned in the recruiting industry because of his success at 24-7 and, and you know, being the scouting director. And, and, and you know, he's, he's a guy that has been to a ton of camps and has an eye for talent. So uh, roster building um, is, is, is something that's going to be in his purview. The most interesting thing is, for, my, for me, is did this kind of start a trend on this whole general manager deal I'm blanking on the guy's name. You may remember it's Austin. What's the guy's name? Austin Thomas. Uh, he was at LSU. Austin Thomas. Yeah. Um, and I've talked to Austin several times before, but I just blanked on his name there. But you know, Austin was kind of the first one to do this. Uh, did it at LSU, and now he's at Texas A&M. Um, I, I do wonder if you kind of see this position more, uh, and it's mainly because of what may be happening with the transfer portal just in terms of you almost need even more infrastructure to be prepared for that. So it's not so much just about, you know, what is our path for the 2022, 2023, 2024 recruiting classes? Uh, you know, how do we, you know, manage this transfer portal and, and kind of the, the challenges that, you know, positively and negatively that comes from that. So 
Um, Barton's going to have a lot on his plate, and whoever you know else, other, what other programs try, decide to kind of emulate that position, I think could do so um, from that perspective because Vanderbilt still hired a recruiting director. He just reports to Barton Simmons, uh, and I think that's kind of the same way that that you know LSU operated with Austin. So and Tennessee kind of explored that, you know, but Austin didn't end up at uh, with the Vols several years ago when Jeremy was first hired. So. But I, it should, that, that's kind of where my brain goes with that whole uh, deal. But as in terms of just Clark Lee as a coach, I didn't want to just comment on that. I think he's a great fit for Vanderbilt. Um, and if they can kind of, much like Tennessee, oh, they're just with a lot less uh, visibility. The Batman light hasn't just been, hasn't been spotlighted on them um, like it has at, at, in Knoxville. Vanderbilt's had some dysfunction behind the scenes too. And so if they can kind of get their administration with the new AD – and some other folks all pulling in the same direction. There's some potential there because there's plenty of talent um, in the Nashville and the surrounding, you know, metro area. They're not going to compete for championships, so to speak, but I do think they can kind of elevate uh, and maybe kind of move up in that pecking order um, of the SEC. There's no reason I don't think that they can be, you know, better than Missouri um, and at least on a footing with a team like South Carolina. All right, I want to get you out of here with uh, two quick recruiting questions. Who's the best prospect that you've ever covered? You know, someone that you've seen in person that, you know, just my guy, the first guy that comes to your mind is just being a, just an absolute freak on the field. Uh, well, this is, this is going to be, it's, it's going to sound like I'm like playing to, to your audience here. Cause it's, you know, Tennessee slanted. Um, but for the, it's a guy that plays for the Titans. I mean, I, you know, again, I went to Florida. I, I started my career covering Florida. Um, Derek Henry, uh, I was not actually really doing much, any, really any recruiting coverage, hardly at all, um, back then, but he, uh, was a guy I did see play, um, in high school and the, the guy, the guy's stats had been rattled off, you know, a million times on how many 300 yard games and stuff. He was just, he, he was every bit the monster monster meme that you see, you know, with him standing next to Mark Ingram in the national championship game, uh, that's been passed around a bunch of times throughout the years. He was insane at Yuli, and, and so uh, he, he has to take the cake for me. He was just unbelievable. I've You know, um, in recent years, uh, what, what Fields did at, at some camps um, was kind of absurd, uh, and, and he's another guy that's just like, yeah, um, he is not – he's got, you know, just immense, immense athletic ability, but, but Derrick Henry takes the cake for me. All right, how about uh, last one? Stra- What's the strangest recruitment that you've ever covered? Because there's so many weird stories out there. It, it just What's the one that uh, that stands out in your mind? Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot here now. Uh, strangest recruitment. There was, some, there was some pretty odd ones with uh, <laughs> back in the day with, with Butch. Um, and I... I, I I don't. I don't know. I, don't, I can't say I want to out one one particular person, but just some of the mechanisms of uh, the the necessity to chase stars mm-hmm. was just kind of so absurdly comical at times. Um, and the irony is, is that some of the people that work behind the scenes are actually pretty good. And and you know, there's some guys. You know, Bob Welton's at Alabama and has been very successful. You know, again, but kind of some of the steps that that Tennessee took uh back in, in kind of the latter stages of butch's days were 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 rather comical 
Like uh, Kongbo and the uh, the ice cream cone? That's a good one. That was actually the right before uh, I got to Tennessee. But that that that's one that, that, that lives down. Um, I mean, and this isn't even like a stranger, but, but folks would be so surprised that, you know, how many guys that Tennessee has screwed up on in terms of, you know, letting the string play out uh, because they didn't think they were good enough for guys in state. And then those guys go on and, um, and whether it was a Jacob Phillips, you know, or, or, or Jacoby Stevens, two guys who ended up at LSU. And, and certainly those are, those are hardly the only ones, but those are two big ones where Tennessee just kind of shrugged. And they're like, ah, we don't think those guys are good enough. And, and, you know, that, that, that came to bite them quite, quite hard. All right, I've taken up enough of your time. He's Jesse Simonton. Give him a follow at Jesse R.E. Simonton. That's in the show notes right there. Thanks again, Jesse. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely, Mike. Appreciate you having me on. The podcast is also sponsored by Justin Hamilton over at the federalsavingsbank.com. Head on over there. Talk to Justin. Make sure you let him know the guys over at That SEC Podcast sent you. There's no better time than now to refinance or buy a home with interest rates lower than ever. Hit up our guy Justin over at the Federal Savings Bank. And this is a guy that uh, actually saved Cousin Joe over $400 a month on his mortgage. If you got any questions at all about Justin Hamilton and what he can do for you at the Federal Savings Bank, he's licensed in all 50 states to help you out. Reach out to us. More than happy to answer any question you got. We've also put a link to Justin's website at thefederalsavingsbank.com in the show notes. So head on down there, reach out to Justin if you're looking to buy a home or refinance your home. And again, make sure to tell him the guys from that SEC podcast sent you. He'll hook you up.